excuse me, that the virtual mini plenary is deemed to be in, in present of parliament and it constitutes a meeting of the National Assembly for debating purposes only. In addition to the rules of the virtual sittings, the rules of the National Assembly, including the rules of debate, shall apply. Members enjoy the same powers and privileges that apply in the sitting of the National Assembly. Members should equally note that anything said in the virtual platform is deemed to have been said to the House and may be ruled upon. All members who have logged in shall be considered as present and are requested to mute their microphones and only unmute when recognized to speak. This is because the mics are very sensitive and will pick up any noise which might disturb the attention of other members. Honorable members, when you are recognized to speak, please unmute your microphone and connect your video. Members may use the icons on the bar at the bottom of their gadget or on the top right of their bike gadget, depend on the, what type of the gadget you are using, which has, a, has an option of allows you to put on your hand or your hand to raise your point of order in intention to raise your point of order. The secretariat will assist in electing the chairperson, which is myself, to members requesting to speak. When using the virtual system, members are urged to refrain from or desist from unnecessary points of order or interjections. Lastly, honorable members, as housekeeping matters, I wish to remind you that we are meeting in a mini plenary session and therefore any decision will be taken in a full plenary session of the assembly if need arises. Honorable members, the first subject for discussion is an on order paper. Is a subject for discussion in the name of Honorable B.S. Yabo on addressing inequality to advance social economical rights of all and leave no one behind. I now recognize Honorable B.S. Yabo from the virtual platform. Over to you, Honorable Member. Thank you very much. Uh... Uh, House Chair, um, let me greet everyone on the platform. Yesterday, we celebrated Africa Day, commemorating 59 years since the Organization of African Union was established in 1963, House Chair. The continent of Africa has traveled a long journey since the independence of Ghana from British colonialism in 1957. Since then, Country after country in Africa freed itself from colonial rule, including South Africa, which attained its political freedom in 1994. The question then beckons, how far have we traversed from the embryonic state of our fledgling democracy to eradicating what has come to be known as the triple challenges of poverty, inequality, and unemployment today? To respond to that question, we must give an account of the development of our country through the lenses of historical materialism. In 1652, the first European merchants and traders arrived on our shores. With them, a colonial system of the oppression of the 
natives was established and grew from strength to strength. The legacy of colonial expansion excluded the majority of Africans from exercising their socioeconomic rights and access to equal opportunities. This has resulted in deep levels of poverty and inequality in our society. One of the pillars of the democratic South Africa is addressing the injustices of the past. Though the democratic government has made strides in improving the conditions of living for many South Africans, the level of inequality in our country has grown over the years, which shows the structural exclusion of black people and the poor. The global measure of the gap between the haves and the have-nots, known as the Gini coefficient, has grown to be the highest out of 164 surveyed countries. The top 10% of the population in South Africa holds 80.6% of financial assets. Comparatively, the figures are 61.2% for Botswana and 65.5% for Namibia. Many households in the bottom 10% have almost no assets and survive largely on transfers from other households or social security. The levels of unemployment amongst the youth are hovering at a staggering 66.5%, according to the fourth quarter labor report of 2021. An urgent paradigm shift is required to turn the tide of the results of over 340 years of colonial conquest around. No one must be left behind. Leaving no one behind means the state should empower the marginalized for self-liberation. Our constitution enshrines the socio-economic rights of all South Africans and places the responsibility on the government to undertake reasonable measures to realize them. For all South Africans to enjoy their socio-economic rights, the state should empower the marginalized to meaningfully participate in the economy. The state should deploy state capital meaningfully and deliberately to shrink the inequality gap. It is this imperative that has ensured that the ANC government places education as an apex priority and provides a safety net to eradicate poverty and ameliorate other deprivations. While the ANC government has created a conducive environment for commerce to be undertaken with ease, the role of the private sector cannot be understated in the creation of jobs. However, both government and the private sector need to have a more symbiotic relationship towards the achievement of what may seem to be divergent goals. Transformative policies need to be supported and implemented where capital, both public and private, is deployed for the reduction of inequality. Inequality must be dealt with in whatever form it rears its head. To eradicate poverty and inequality, the ANC government has placed education as an apex priority, as stated earlier, to increase the level of literacy in our country and to enable South Africans to acquire diverse skills which will enable them to be part 
of the productive forces of the economy. To leave no one behind, the NC government has ensured that it realizes the call of the Freedom Charter of opening the doors of learning and culture. Free basic education and fee-free higher education are a humongous progress in removing barriers to learning. Many families have seen their children grow up to attain higher education qualifications despite destitute conditions they come from. Today, that graduate would have assisted his or her siblings to focus on education and provide support to his or her household and his or her own life. Honorable members, Honorable House Chair, these success stories have become a norm in our society. By empowering the people for self-liberation, their impact on addressing inequality and poverty will likely be high. We need to break the cycle of inequality, which would require the country to equalize opportunities and reduce the disadvantages people face because of their circumstances at birth. It is for this reason that we continue to call for the expansion of higher education to create spaces for the youth who are not in employment or training. Gone are the days when access to educational opportunities was a privilege for a few, but it has become a true public good for all. We must imbue a culture of learning in our society because it is through knowledge that we will be able to develop solutions to the complex challenges facing our nation. Our economy has a lot of structural barriers which have enabled vast informal economic sectors to grow and thrive. However, the limitation for informal economic participants is their inability to access financial institutions and the lack of recognition of informal skills attained. This is due to high transactional costs which limit integrations of the informal sector to the mainstream economy. The financial sector needs to devise new products and criteria to help buttress the informal sector, which will in turn buoy growth of those informal businesses gradually, graduating a number of them into the formal economy, which will have positive spin-offs in the creation of jobs. House chain. It is important for us to realize today that a stable country where peace thrives is important for the economy to grow, is important for investments to happen. Violence has become a rising problem or a rising phenomenon in our society that hinders the socioeconomic rights of South Africans. The increase in gender-based violence and femicide and the discrimination against women, people with disabilities, and discrimination against people with a different sexual orientation reflects how people are disadvantaged to live and be treated equally, taking away their human rights. This increase, the increase in, the increase in fraud, interrupted by someone else. One second. One second. Uh, uh, mute your mic, please. You may proceed and, and wrap up, honorable member. Over to you. Thank you. 
Thank you very much, uh, House Chair. Okay, thank you very much, Honorable Yabo of the ANC. Now I recognize Honorable De Villiers of the DA. Over to you, Honorable Member. Thank you, Chair. Chairperson, in a famous fable about the frog and the scorpion, the scorpion asked the frog to please carry him across a river. The frog looked shocked at the scorpion and said, that's an absurd idea. I can't carry you over the river. You will just sting me halfway and I will drown. The scorpion countered, no, dear frog, I will not sting you halfway across the river because if I sting you, we will both drown. The frog thought about this for a minute and then agreed. And so the scorpion climbed onto its back and they started across the river. Now, as the story goes, halfway across the river, the scorpion did exactly what it said it would not do. It stung the frog. As the frog realized he was stung, he turned towards the scorpion and said, why did you do that? And the scorpion just looked at the frog and said, it's in my nature. Chairperson, in 1994, South Africa found itself on one side of a river. It was the side of inequality, poverty, and unemployment, and general socio and economic injustice. On the other side of the river stood the land of socio-economic equality, where South Africans would have equal opportunity to rise to their fullest potential. This is the side of the river where the new South Africa wanted to find itself. But to get to our destination, just like the frog, we had to cross a river, vast and dangerous. And for this, we needed a skipper, a captain that could direct our efforts to cross the river. To get to our destination, the skipper had to steer our country in a way that grows the economy, creates jobs, builds better hospitals, schools, roads, dams, and importantly, keeps the lights on. The skipper had to both embrace business as a partner, but also strengthen the state's ability to look after those vulnerable members of society who cannot look after themselves. So in 1994, the ANC turned towards voters and said, we are that captain, the skipper that can get our country across the river. And so in 1994, South Africans trusted the ANC to get us across the river. Chairperson, it goes without saying, the ANC has failed to get us across the river. In the last 30 years, every time South Africans have trusted the ANC to get us across the river, they have stung us, just like the scorpion. The stings are too many to list, but they all carry the same poison, the poison of corruption. As our country was stung a thousand stings over almost 30 years, we were paralyzed in our efforts and drifted back to the shore of rising inequality, poverty and unemployment. Chair, the difference between the scorpion and the ANC is unlike the scorpion, the ANC cannot admit why it is stinging us because it still wants us to trust it. The undeniable truth, however, is that the nature of the organization is corrupt. It is a deeply embedded organizational culture. Nothing illustrates this culture of corruption more vividly than the theft of COVID relief funding after the president promised it would never happen. In the darkest hour of our country's desperate need for COVID assistance, the scorpion stung us because that is its nature. Which brings us to today, Chair, as the world tries to recover after the COVID pandemic and we see inflation running wild on the back of the Ukraine war, winter is upon our river. The next few years will not get easier. The river will get wilder and it will get tougher to swim and not drown. In 2024, the ANC will again turn towards us and say we cannot get, we can't get across the river. But Madam Speaker, we have, we have been stung too many times. And in 2024, we will turn towards the ANC as a country and say, you cannot get us across the river because you will sting us. It is in your nature. Thank you, Honorable Member. Now I recognize Honorable Ermas of the ANC. Over to you, ma'am. 
Thank you very much, Honorable House Chair, Honorable Ministers, Deputy Ministers, Honorable Members, and fellow South Africans. As we celebrate Africa Month, we are reminded of the difficulties of our forebears had to overcome and the resistance they encountered from foreign powers that had much to gain from exploiting divisions on the continent. We can learn from them the power of perseverance, sacrifice, and dedication, and that an Africa United can overcome the greatest challenges. We mark this Africa Month under the shadow of COVID-19 and the real impact of climate change on our lives and livelihoods. The extreme weather events highlight the importance of mitigating the effects of climate change. We must be more systematic in how we plan for and manage the impact of climate change on our people and the economy. The floods in KZN, Northwest, Eastern Cape have yet again showed us how vulnerable the poor are. This calls on us to double our efforts in transforming our economy and making it more inclusive for all South Africans. South Africans. The process of structural transformation requires our economy to move from low productivity to higher productivity and in the process ensure higher value-added activities. We need this to develop our country. We have, however, not made significant progress in transforming our economy. South Africa has made some serious mistakes of de-industrializing prematurely. At the same time, our economy remains highly concentrated and unequal. Some of the structural constraints that continue to reproduce our challenges include, amongst others, the lack of coherence between our skills development policy and our industrial policy, which means that firms tend to privatize the necessary training that merits a public provision which implies a bias against smaller firms. According to the Competition Commission's latest report on measuring the concentration and participation in the South African economy, the number of large firms has grown by an average of 9% from 2012 to 2016. This indicates that there is a poor survival rate of SMMEs in our economy. They are key uh, yet they are key creators of jobs, and without the increased participation, we may not be able to effectively liberate our people from the clutches of poverty and joblessness. The imperative of addressing high levels of concentration and low levels of participation in the economy extends beyond the Competition Commission to all areas of government and civil society. Regulatory frameworks, licensing processes, and procurement across government directly impact the spread of ownership and opportunities for effective participation in the economy, which will ultimately impact concentration. Some proactive interventions are achievable through the, competitions the Competition Commission's ability to undertake market inquiries. The economic reconstruction and recovery plan is driven by the reimagined industrial strategy and places emphasis on master plans as key drivers to attract 
investment, build capable local industries and create jobs. Localization has been a key component of the ANC's economic policy to build and protect local industrial capacity. Some detractors have attempted to accuse the ANC-led government of nationalism and protectionism. The state of economic condition dictates that our national interests must precede all others. Many of the world's largest economies, including the United States, China, India, and countries in the European Union are doing the same, and they are actively protecting and promoting their domestic firms. The ANC-led government's industrialization and localization policies are aimed at developing, upgrading, and expanding production to supply both domestic and foreign markets, promoting employment growth, and supporting wider economic development and, and transformation. In response to the ERRP, the DTSC is placing great emphasis on an integrated approach across the interventions to drive industrialization that supports economic recovery. This approach incorporates industry master plans that target key sectors that are drivers of economic growth and job creation. To date, six industry master plans in the automotive, poultry, sugar, furniture, steel, textiles and clothing sectors have been completed and the implementation is in different phases. Work is currently being done to finalize the plastic and chemicals master plan. In conjunction with the master plans, the DTIC offers industrial financing support in the form of grants, loans, and tax allowances to the manufacturing sector. These support measures include grants offered to the agro-processing and automotive sectors and to black industrialists. This, target, this is targeted at increasing productive capacity, employment, competitiveness, and transformation. In addition, concessionary funding is being offered by the IDC and NEF to manufacturing businesses to sustain existing jobs and improve uh, productive capacity. This, suppo this support is to provide relief to businesses that have been devastated by the COVID-19 pandemic and the unrest that occurred in July 2021 as well as to accelerate the economic recovery in the country. SEZs are an important element of reigniting manufacturing-led industrialization in an accelerated manner. In giving effect to the district development model, a new SEZ approach has been developed to ensure proper coordination and management of SEZ. SEZs seek to create a sustainable environment for foreign and domestic direct investment and both sector-based industries, which help the South African economy to develop its strategic industrial capabilities. They serve as a key program underpinning spatially integrated industrial development, particularly in the context of unlocking or optimizing South Africa's comparative and competitive advantages. 
Reviving industrial parks is to promote the decentralization of industrial industrialization to the less economic activity-laden areas such as townships and semi-rural areas. The revitalization program is meant to promote to improve industrial infrastructure, which has aged and been vandalized. The South African township economy is estimated at 100 billion rand, and it is therefore essential that industrial parks be the catalyst for the township and rural economy. Work is currently underway with provincial governments to attract investors to settle in these parks and create jobs. To date, 770 million rand has been approved through DTIC's Critical Infrastructure Programme Fund for the revitalization of, of industrial parks in seven provinces. In conclusion, inequality and poverty remain a threat to the stability of our country, and we ought to address them as a matter of urgency. It is only through structural reform that we will be able to resolve the structural challenges that continue to reproduce themselves. We call on all patriotic South Africans to support the efforts of governments to transform the economy in the interest of our nation. I thank you. Hey, thank you very much, Honourable Member. Now I recognize Honourable Member of the EFF. EFF. Honourable Members, uh, we shall proceed with that silence. Now I recognize Honourable Linkosu Telesi of the IFP. Over to you. Uh, thank you, House Chair. Um, kindly allow me to uh, not activate my camera due to having an unstable connection. Um, Our calls upon us to improve the quality of life of all citizens and free the potential of each person. Our country is founded on, among others, the values of human dignity, the achievement mm -hmm. of equality, and the advancement of human rights and freedoms. Our blueprint for our preferred future, the National Develop Development Plan, aims to eliminate poverty and reduce inequality by 2030. The United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, in particular Goal 10, further entreat us, both as a nation state and a member of the global community, to reduce inequality within and among countries. Yet South Africa faces an uphill battle. Even before the ravages of COVID-19, the July 2021 unrest and the recent widespread flooding in KwaZulu-Natal and the Eastern Cape, South Africa was ranked according to the World Population Review uh, as the those ones who have got their mics on, may you mute yourself, please, uh, uh, to step in the proceedings. I will come back to the EFF. Proceed, Honourable Member Tillis. Thank, thank you. Thank you, House Chair. Uh, even before the ravages of COVID-19, the July 2021 unrest and the recent widespread flooding in KwaZulu-Natal and the Eastern Cape, South Africa was ranked, according to the World Population Review, as the country with the lowest level of income equality in the world. We had a Gini coefficient of 63.0 when last measured in 2014. This means that the richest 10% of 
hold 71% of the wealth, while the poorest 60% hold just 7% of the wealth. Additionally, more than half of South Africa's population lives in poverty. What must be done so as to leave no one behind? According to the architects of the NDP, the future we must construct is one where no person lives in poverty and where together we deal decisively to root out the deep inequality that we have inherited. The IFP, as servants of the people, are committed to this vision and to building a just, prosperous and moral society whose citizens engage with each other on the basis of Ubuntu Ubuntu. As the IFP, we know that what is needed and we will lead by example where we govern. Um, as the IFP, we know what, what is, uh, pardon me, my phone rang. I apologize, Jay. We need a government that is accountable to the people and that serves with integrity. We need a government that delivers basic services, creates sustainable jobs, provides quality education and supplies accessible health care. Instead, we have a government that is rotten to the core. If you, need it, if you need evidence of that, just read the Zondo Commission report, which revealed the wide-scale theft and corruption perpetrated by leaders and officials in positions of authority. Not only did they betray the very people who placed their trust in them, not only did they steal billions of rands from the public purse, but hundreds of millions were then spent to uncover all these atrocities, and surely hundreds of millions more will be needed to attempt to bring those criminals to justice. Corruption is a, is a true companion of inequality and poverty. Where could South Africa have been if all those stolen monies had been directed towards uplifting those trapped in the cycle of poverty? As we look to 2030, let us commit to remaining vigilant as members of parliament and public representatives across all spheres of government. <laughs> I'm afraid honorable member, your time has expired. Thank you very much, oh. honorable member. Thank because you, thank you, Honorable members, we shall proceed. I recognize member of the EFF. Are you now ready? You had your mic on earlier on. EFF, I guess they're not here on the platform. That will, will proceed, honorable members. Now I recognize honorable Boshok of the FF Plus. Thank you, honorable chair. Uh, honorable House Chair, maybe one should look at the phenomenon of inequality from a fundamental perspective. The idea of equality among human beings is one which set free a vast amount of potential. In an unequal society, where one's prospects are dependent on one's station in life, the serf who happens to be a genius in mathematics would possibly pass life as an awkward soul, out of touch with real life. However, the basic inequality of humans pervaded social relations for millennia. As soon as wealth entered the culture, social stratification emerged, with inequality soon perceived as ordained by divine will. In many cultures, it was akin to sacrilege to attempt to improve one's status. In fact, the inequality of a newborn child to his or her parents is a fundamental reality. Parents should attempt to bring up their children, not only to become the equals, but even to surpass them by making more opportunities available than they themselves had had. Of course, that does not always happen, as opportunities represent an invitation and not a guarantee. Then, of course, people are endowed with different abilities. An excellent chemistry professor may be a hopeless pharmacist. 
Someone who mastered animal husbandry may be awful at business and therefore not a good farmer. Success is dependent on the wisdom to know oneself and the ability to one's, uh, and the ability to manage one's abilities, weaknesses, and interests. One person may measure success in money, another in the happiness of family life, and another in professional accolades. What exactly means uh, equality means against that background is not so easy to determine. Economical relations is a function of cultural values, beliefs, and practices. It goes without saying that to be socially successful in a foreign cultural framework is difficult. It is less obvious that the economic success has the same impediments. In the Bible, the story of the exile by the Babylonians uh, illustrates this. Those Judeans deemed equal to the task could study at the king's court. The invitation was clear. Lay down your own and acquire the Babylonian identity. Then you can advance to any position within your ability. Daniel and his friends succeeded in adding the dominant identity without losing their own. Fast forward to the 20th century. Western, Western colonialism had long dominated social and economic systems all over the world. Subordinate peoples and countries had to liberate themselves from a mental and economic Western stranglehold. Oriental nations were first to beat the West at its own game and its own rules by framing themselves as competitors rather than victims. Arabian countries did the same, using oil as a foundation to build service economies. After the Anglo-Boer War, Afrikaans had the same choice. Those who could, could enter society as long as they would don an English cloak over their Afrikaans rags. Some accepted, but many declined and created an own Afrikaans society in order not to leave some behind. Charterers and Pan-Africanist ideologists made the opposite decision. Colonial languages were embraced to facilitate liberation, and African languages were perceived as medium for divide and rule. Upward mobility implied aspiring to a foreign identity and downplaying their own. Twice the victim. Therefore, the economy grows without benefit to all. At present, socio-economic inequality prevails, not despite the government's best efforts, but as a consequence of it. I thank you. Thank you, Honourable Member. Now I recognize member of the SADP, Honourable Swart. Thank you, House Chair. House Chair, the ACDP would first like to wish all Christians a very blessed and happy Ascension Day today. We welcome this topic for discussion, given increased levels of unemployment, inequality and poverty in society. And despite the fact that South Africa is a net exporter of food, there are roughly 6 million people in the country who do not have enough food to eat. What is even more alarming is that many people, including children, are dying from malnutrition. And while acknowledging the sterling work that many churches and other civil organizations are doing to alleviate the shocking state of affairs, more can and must be done in this regard. The country has, however, uh, and arguably one of the most developed social protection systems among middle-income economies globally. And this is to help the poorest of the poor. The levels of income inequality would have been even higher in the absence of this social protection system. And the temporary extension of the special COVID-19 social relief of the stress drive, though minimal, was widely welcomed. Well, welcomed as it brought a small measure of relief to the poorest of the poor. Unfortunately, as the need increases, increasing the social protection system, though very necessary, becomes unsustainable over the long term. The ACDP believes that it 
it is only through sustained economic growth that we can create enough jobs to reduce poverty and inequality. Sadly, the country has experienced more than a decade of economic stagnation due to poor policy choices, state capture and corruption. The economy has further been severely impacted by the COVID-19 hard lockdown last July's rioting and more recently the flooding in KZN and other provinces. State capture and corruption has lowered our economic growth potential, made the country fiscally more vulnerable and severely weakened the capability of the country. It has discouraged investment, both foreign and domestic, and all these issues have contributed to high levels of unemployment and inequality. This can result in tremendous social problems and holds the potential for political instability as we saw at last year's riots. The high-level panel in the riots found that poorly rolled out service delivery and unacceptable living conditions, the state of the economy, and persistent levels of poverty serve to provide the right environment to light the tinderbox that was the incarceration of former President Zuma that led to many poor and desperate people joining in the looting alongside those more calculated in their objectives and motivation. This is a clear warning to all of us that unless persistent high levels of unemployment, poverty and inequality are dealt with decisively, last year's riots could repeat themselves. What is required is a concerted effort by government and the private sector to partner in much-needed jobs. Government, infrastructure, power roads, rails and harbours, and the private sector, the required investment. Together, together we can and must do more. I thank you, Pastor. Thank you very much, Honourable Member. Now I recognise Honourable Opperman of the DA. Over to you, Honourable Member. Werkloosheid was a wolf of armoede. In it from 6.1 million to 9.3 million gestegen in the Duma era. But knap before the COVID-19 pandemic, the werkloosheid cijfer under President Ramaphosa na 10.4 miljoen gestuig. Hongersnood het verdubbel tijdens die staat van inperken. Midden die grendelstaatperiode het ons geneem dat kaders kostpakkie steel, wijl die kinders van PD in die Ooskap wilde veldplante eet om hongerpijne te stil. Een week gelede is het onthul dat kinders in Matikwe sand eet van hongerte, maar oor die 22 miljoen randse vlag word het gelag. Gaan kyk nou in Calvinia in die Noordkaap, hoe kinders rondkrap op die asgate verkoos en loop sien in die diamantvelde van die richtersveld, hoe rafier sand geëet word net om vol te voel. Dan praat ons van niemand achterloos nie. Het ons allemaal hier, dan vergeet hoe droog brood en suikerwater smaak en slap millimeelpap sonder sout. Wel, 10 miljoen Suid-Afrikaners het nie. Hulle onthou elke dag Wij hulle wacht op die 350 rand en die ergste hongersnood in 28 jaar ervaar. Volgende jaar sal 18.9 miljoen mense afhankelijk wees van maatskapelike toelaas en vanavond gaan 1 uit elke 4 mense honger slaap. So hoera vir Suid-Afrika. Ons is een slag nummer 1 uit 164 lande vir die meest ongelijke land ter wereld. 12 miljoen Suid-Afrikaners ondervoed en 13.7 miljoen het nie toegang tot voedsame kos nie. Hierdie amtelike statistieke sal echter nooit die geleefde realiteit van armoede, hongersnood en die dagelikse strijd om oorleving kan verwoord nie. 
Dit is toe nie een beter leven vir allemaal nie, maar een bitter leven van mislukte geleentede, verpletterde drome en vermoeste potentiaal, want hierdie onbevoegde staat is rijk aan beleid, maar arm in uitvoering. Die COVID-19 pandemie het slechts die swak ekonomische toestand van ons land kom blootlee. Ons spandeer meer as wat ons kan bekostig en die ekonomische groeikoers is al vir meer as een dekade laar as een menora limitie. Die hoofredes waarom die gaping tussen die wat het en die wat nie het nie vergroot, is een kwart eeuw van onvoldoende groei, een onbevoegde regering wat na 30 jaar totaal vastgevang sit in die apartheidsnalatingskap, wat boon ook vererger is dier die dekade van staatskaping, kaderontplooiing, een oor invoedrijke vakbondsektor en een geweldige vaardigheidstekort. Tasio het in een ding nodig om hierdie ongelijkhede aan te sprekie, die DIA het vier vinnige voorstelle. Lok meer kapitaal na die reële ekonomie waar welvaart geskip word, eder as herverdeel word, besnoei die staatse loonrekening drasties, decentraliseer machte en dienste in sluitende vervoer, elektriciteit en polisiering en skort beswarende arbeidswetgeving op wat het bemoeilik om mense aan te stel. Ons benodig nie onvolhoudbare hand tot mond in voorneemele werk nie. Ons benodig die soort groei wat op alle vlakke ervaar word. Eerst dan kan ons praat van niemand achterlaat. Ik dank je. Thank you, honorable member. Now I recognize honorable uh, Sheikh Imam of the N- NFP. Sure. Is there order? Point of order? Yes, I, don't sure. the the pla- I don't see the hand on the platform. Is the EFF chair you called earlier a connection problem? Okay, but next time you must raise your hand so that I can recognize you. Allow me much, to, okay, we'll come back to you because I've already uh, called upon Honorable Sheikh Imam of the NFP. You'll follow him. Honorable Sheikh Imam. Thank you for that, House Chair. I'm, I'm about to speak on the other side as well. But let me start off by talking about the issue of advancing the socioeconomic rights of all our people. Yes, indeed. If you look at the socioeconomic condition... I suspect you are frozen, Honorable Member. Honorable Sheikh Imam. I'm not talking particularly about any one particular particular political party. Wherever they are, even in KwaZulu-Tel for that matter. I'll give you a good example in Nongoma. Why do people have to walk seven kilometers for water? So the socioeconomic conditions that our people live under is as a result of the leadership that they choose. Now, what is the requirement for leadership? Should be ethical? Should have high levels of morals and passion and commitment? Is that what we really look for in them? No. Our communities are so vulnerable that when politicians and political parties go out there and exploit the situation, and manipulate them into billion by, of course, providing the one food parcel once in five years. That is what motivates these people with the hope and pray that one day their lives will change. So if we want to change the socioeconomic conditions under which our people live, I think the first requirement is to ensure that you identify ethical leaders that will be able to lead you and take you forward. Now, The question that we need to ask again is this. Why is it in the entire Africa we are going backward? 
I gave some examples yesterday on the day, debate on Africa Day, where the African continent will only be able to provide enough 13% of the food needs of its country. Yet you have 40% of the arable land in the world. You have 30% of all the minerals in the world. Why is it so? It is because we in the African continent, we tend to be selfish. We will enrich ourselves rather than enriching the nation at large. It's not about the nation. It's about self-interest. It's about power. It's about control. Are you asking me to leave, Chairperson? Uh, no, I'll Chairperson, are you asking? Please try to wrap up. You are left okay. with uh, All right. 30 seconds. All right. In order to improve the quality of life of our people and to bridge that gap, I think we need to provide quality education. In order to provide quality education, we need to have conducive learning areas like the schools and the infrastructure, thing, which we are having great difficulty. So I think what we need is a holistic approach to address the challenges that the people face on the ground. And let us leave the issue of race and religion out of these things. There are challenges all over the country, but all over the world. My plea is let us come together in the interest of the people we serve. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honourable Member. Now I recognize member of the EFF. Over to you, Honourable Member. Uh, Honourable Chair, we are aware of the mandate of the perishable products. Oh, oh, Honourable Member, Honourable, one minute. Uh, are you seeking a permission not to switch on your video or you are still going to switch it on? Oh, my apologies, Chair. The network where I'm is very bad. I'm seeking permission not to switch off my video, to switch on permission my video. granted. Okay. Thank you very much, Chair. Honorable Chair, we are aware of the mandate of the Perishable Products Export Control Board to conduct food safety audits and inspection in terms of the Agricultural Products Act Act on all food uh, business operators exporting perishable products of plant origin. Despite that, it is self-funded com company and does not receive a parliamentary grant, but generates its own revenue through fees and levies charged. It has generated a total revenue of 187 million during the period. It is the only entity of the Department of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development that has maintained clean audit outcomes for more than 13 successive years. Its work is commendable, and we encourage the entity to continue with its good work. And the Honorable Chair, uh, the, uh, also on the District 6, because uh, 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 Chair, is that they, this year marks 56th anniversary of the District 6 uh, being declared whites-only area under Apartheid Group Areas Act. This must be the very last and final year of which Parliament shall have a debate about a yet-to-be-completed process of bringing our people back to the land which rightfully belongs to them. There, are, there is the excitement about the settlement of all the District 6 land claims and celebration of the completed units. Frankly, as shown below, it took years to get to where the process is, and there are still people waiting for houses to return to the District 6. To the, district six. the return of, of land victims and descendants of people who were forcibly removed from the only place they called home in District 6 is long overdue. This is almost two decades of waiting. Whilst the settlement of all claims is noted and appreciated, it is it is the finalization of the District 6 that we are concerned about. District 6 is not finalized. It was reported that 954 residential complex for the remaining old order claims will be developed in 
two bills. That two must be finalized. The delay in finalizing of the District 6, as shown in the committee report, resulted in extending the completion date from the end of 2023, which is with an estimated cost of 1.5 billion. That too must be finalized. Must be must be finalized, the Honorable Chair. Now, let, 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 let's cut this unnecessary extension and ensure that the people occupy the land and houses built for them and restore their sense of pride and dignity. The EFF supports. Thank you, Chair. Oh, you're done. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Honorable uh, uh, Member of the EFF, I'm not too sure whether it was deliberate. It seems like we're talking on the issues of agriculture. But I decided to allow you because you can opt to speak to any subject matter, not uh, specifically on the motion before us. Uh, with that, honorable members, we shall proceed. I recognize honorable Hendrix of Aljama. Over to you, member. Honorable Hendrix, it seems like honorable Hendrix is not on the platform. We shall proceed. I recognize Honorable Zeki of the ANC. Good afternoon, Chairperson. I am not sure whether Comrade Diabo has finished his minutes. I thought there's one minute that was left. Chair, can you clarify that as I continue? No, there was zero minutes left. Chairperson in the House, uh, one stand here today as an African and recognize Africa Month as a propellant for us to lead transformation. Africa Day was celebrated yesterday to validate that we as Africans are humans again. We say this against the onslaught of apartheid colonialism. When we say land and human are creators of wealth, we mean of an agent need for South Africans to have access to land, to develop their economic social standing in a society. So let me just brush on what the some of the opposition parties have said. And Mr. De Villiers is correct about the scorpion and the frog scenario. When settlers came here, they found us as frogs and they were scorpions. They found us peaceful, and they pretend to be peaceful. And then they clamp on our heads and our shoulders, but at the end, they sting us to death and took us our land. Mr. Boshoff says the wisdom and cultural beliefs are the creators of wealth. That is also a myth that is concentrated to also white superior, uh, superiority. And also Mr. Ms. Opperman, I think at least I could say to her that she has recognized that apartheid has created a legacy that she only realized now during COVID and state capture that that legacy has actually exacerbated the, the imbalances of society in South Africa. Honorable members, leaving one behind means that we need to empower and protect the most vulnerable citizens in our society. We should grow in solidarity, not in welfareism. We must understand inequality from the, from the multidimensional aspect. 
it is multidimensional because people experience different deprivations of poverty, unemployment, and criminality. The National Development Plan is a vision that, that has been supported by various social partners, including the opposition parties in this house, which is a significant commitment. The National Development Plan commits all of us to contribute to the eradication of inequality in our country. It is for this reason that the ANC government has placed comprehensive social, so, social security system to protect the poor and the most vulnerable. The comprehensive social system also recognizes that we empower people to be economically active, hence it is comprehensive to respond to the multidimensional aspect of ensuring the well-being of all. For those in labor, which is workers, uh, we recognize that the jo that job security is a concern and also that it will arise one day. In this regard, the ANC government has ensured unemployment insurance fund exists to protect those that would lose their job. Also, the Department of Labor has developed programs for the job seekers to register into the Department of Labor system for for them not to travel long distances and uh, save their affairs. As a government of the people, we should learn from COVID-19 His Excellency President Ramaphosa has urged the Department of Social Development and the broader society to have a meaningful discussions on consideration of the base income grant for those who are between the age of 18 and 59, because currently they are only covered by the social relief. Recognizing the current economic climate, we, we welcome the social relief distress of 350 payment extension to March 2023, for it provides relief for the unemployed, those who do not understand the precarious state of unemployment, like uh, Mr. De Villiers and Mr. Bosham. They will not understand. Uh, they, they will always downplay the significance of this grant. We know as a matter of fact that the 350 grants have enabled many South Africans to put food on their table and assist with searching for work opportunities while others have begun micro-enterprises. All these positive outcomes demonstrate that our people yearn to work and contribute to the economic development of their nation. The social assistant is currently covered, covering 18.9 million South Africans by, the, by this interventionist government to build a developmental state. A chairperson, the Department of Social Development has an automated access to national student financial aid assistance. And we should further integrate grant recipients to work opportunities uh, in the public and the private sector, like what the Department of Labor has already initiated. Our comprehensive social security should be underpinned by a developmental approach of self-liberation of individuals and communities. Today, our education system is being strengthened 
to improve the learning outcomes to create more equitable opportunities for all South Africans. The interventions to provide nutrition, meal, and meals, school transport, no fees schools, and many other support measures play an important role in making sure we empower the poor not to be left behind. The percentage of individuals what have an education decreased from 11% in 2002 to 2.9% in 2020, while those with at least a grade 12 qualification increased from 30% uh, to 50% in the same uh, period. This is what we call a tangible uh, progress. The African National Congress government spends 59% of its national budget on the social wage to alleviate poverty. Honorable members, the African National Congress is committed to building a developmental state which must be, take reasonable measures Stop the economy to a trajectory of intrusive growth and address the market concentration and ensure that the equitable distribution income is realized. Honorable members, the chairperson, the Bill of Rights entails numerous rights which, 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 which the democratic government should progressively realize within its means. In 1994, we began a process of reconstruction and development program which must be geared to change the living conditions of our people through expanding access to electricity, which has distributed a, special, a spatially in a skewed manner. Today, access to electricity has been expanded to rural and far-flung areas. An increase in the percentage of households that were connected to the electricity grid uh, increased from 76% uh, in 2008 and two to 90% in 2020. That's a tangible progress we are talking about. The housing, the housing project have created a shelter for millions of South Africans. And today we have evolved the program into human settlement, a program. And uh, that you have access to water, sanitation, road infrastructure, health facility, police services, and many other social services which enable the creation of a better life and a protection of the well-being. The introduction of the national health insurance is another key component of addressing inequality in our health system, as only 13% of South Africans are, are on medical aid, leading to unequal distribution of the resources of the NHI fund. Will the NHA fund will seek to create a single pool fund which will purchase health services and it will also lead to realization of the universal healthcare coverage in South Africa. Chairperson, a healthy nation is a wealthy nation and this is a right that we should protect. The recent climate change disaster and occurrence of, pandemic, of pandemics which are predicted to be prevalent in future. We will have to build a climate change resilient infrastructure and undertake mitigation measures to weaken the potential negative 
impacts of climate change. In pursuance of this social development intervention, Chairperson, our objectives and mission is to transform the structural and economic system our country has experienced since the globalization of capitalism. We commit, not in words, but in actions, from birth to university, a child from a pure community is catered for by this interventionist government. You can see Lenkov Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Now I recognize Honorable Cuthbert of the DA. Thank you very much, House Chair. I really wish that the ANC Whippery would send somebody out better than one that's fit for the B team. But nonetheless, let's get on with the debate. Honourable House Chair, according to the World Bank, South Africa is the most unequal country in the world with a Gini coefficient of 0.63, which we've heard at nauseam in this particular debate. Noting that a score of zero refers to absolute equality and a score of one refers to absolute inequality, since the bank began assessing South Africa's performance in 1993, where we registered a coefficient of 0.593, it has steadily increased by 0.037 points. As jarring as this sounds, House Chair, South Africa has become more unequal under the democratic dispensation than it was at the end of apartheid. This has occurred despite the African National Congress having pursued aggressive redistributive economic policies. Concurrent to the steep increase in equality in inequality has been a sharp decrease in our gross domestic product per capita. According to Stats SA in the local publication Business Tech, while South Africa may have largely avoided headline GDP decline over the years of economic hardship prior to the pandemic on a per capita basis, citizens have been getting poorer. This means that economic growth has been struggling to keep up with population growth as GDP per capita decreased in 2020 to a level last seen in 2005. So consider both of these metrics together and you will realize that the same government who professes to fight against the triple challenges of inequality, poverty and unemployment has made our citizens, regardless of race, both considerably more unequal and substantially poorer. In these types of debates, there's never a moment's honest reflection from the governing party benches as to the role they have played in leading us towards the proverbial cliff. Instead, we'll hear how settlers, minorities, capitalism, the global north, immigrants, viruses, and every other imaginable excuse under the sun are responsible for the omni-shambles we find ourselves in. There is no country in the world that has achieved high levels of socio-economic development without generating sustainable levels of economic growth first. Yet the ANC are intent, intent on splitting up the existing power in the hope that it will solve the stubbornly high levels of inequality that persist. Simply put, this requires a lot more than redistribution of taxes collected from an ever-shrinking tax base. It requires a steadfast commitment to key reforms such as cheap and reliable energy supply, investment in new and the maintenance of existing infrastructure, access to quality basic and higher education, prudent fiscal management, and market deregulation and trade promotion. The brevity of these reforms is no ways an attempt to be reductionist or simplistic house chair. However, it is well documented that this is the basic policy formula that has been replicated time and time again 
to create a prosperous society. So my suggestion to the ANC members in this House, drop the pretense, acknowledge your failures and embrace the reforms that are required. It is universally accepted that the only way citizens can realise their socio-economic rights is through a growing economy and not feeble attempts to further split the existing pie. I thank you, House Chair. Thank you, Honourable Member. Now I recognise Honourable Yabo to close the debate. Over to you, sir. Honourable Yabo. Yes, uh, House Chair. Thank you very much, uh, House Chair. Um, Honourable House Chair, the track record of the ANC for building a capable development of state with the vision of growing the economy while ensuring equality is unquestionable. The NC remains a parliament of the people with a pragmatic grasp of workable solutions. The NC remains relevant because it has identified corruption as an immediate impediment towards the eradication of poverty, inequality, and unemployment. The NC government is on course to dealing with the increase in fraud, crime, and corruption. This malice has resulted in many citizens and entrepreneurs being negatively affected as corrupt individuals in our society, whether be it in the private sector or the public sector, extort funds from them. At worst, hinder them from exercising their economic rights, thus disadvantaging the economic participation of many at the grassroots. In July 2021 unrest in KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng has displayed the negative impact of poverty, unemployment, and inequality on economic development as economic activity was disrupted and economic facilities destroyed because of the desperation of the people. A recent unrest can only demonstrate to us the agency with which we need to prioritize closing the inequality gap, eradicating poverty, and creating jobs. A further delay in addressing these triple challenges together will further put us on the precipice of an unstable and uncertain footing for the future. Peace and stability are a prerequisite for investment in any functional and thriving economy. Poverty and inequality do not breed social values espoused in the Constitution, which respects the rights of all. Though we cannot justify the level of destruction we witnessed, the, met, the fact of the matter is that the triple challenges were a causal factor in one way or another in the unrest we, we witnessed. More than 60% of the youth in our country is unemployed. And the youth, this youth bulge is an immediate challenge for stability in our country. We are on an unstable path as a nation. And to create a better future for all, we need to empower the marginalized black majority. The ANC government needs to take bold decisions for the future to leapfrog this country's economy into double-digit growth that creates jobs. As the philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau once said, when the people shall have nothing more to eat, they will eat the rich. Maintaining the status quo will not be of any benefit for all of us. A more equitable distribution of per capita income and wealth is the only logical way forward to create a peaceful and stable country. I thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Now, Honorable Members, we shall proceed to the first order of the day, which is the consideration of the report of the Portfolio Committee on Trade and Industry. 
on public protector report number 37 of 2018-2019 on the systematic investigation into the allegations of illegal conversion of goods carrying Toyota quantum panel vans into passenger carrying minibuses, taxis to transport members of the public for reward. Now I recognize the Honorable Chair of the Portfolio Committee. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. On the, on the 7th of May, 2019, the Public Protector tabled a report on the systemic investigation into the allegations of illegal conversions of goods carrying Toyota Quantum panel vans into passenger carrying minibus taxis to transport members of the public for reward, which was then referred to the Portfolio Committee on Transport and, and Trade and Industry for consideration of the report. The public protector's investigation was conducted following a complaint lodged by Mr. Henry De Beer on the 9th of March 2012 in both his private capacity as well as, as his representative of capacity of several taxi owners affected by the conversions of the panel vans. Various other complaints regarding the conversions of the Toyota quantum panel vans into passenger carrying taxis were received during the Public Protectors National Stakeholder Consultative Dialogue in 2012, and various provinces raised similar issues. Um, Taxi owners complained that their vehicles had been impounded or were declared to be unfit to carry passengers by traffic authorities after it was established that the vehicles could only be licensed to carry three passengers. In relation to the DTIC's entities, the public protector focused on one, whether the National Regulator for Compulsory Specifications, the NRCS, in its official capacity as the National Regulator responsible for the maintenance of compulsory specifications, failed to take effective and efficient steps to ensure that all automotive manufacturers, importers, and builders comply with the compulsory specifications as envisaged by the NRCS, uh, the N the NRCS Act so as to restrict the illegal conversions of these vehicles into minibus mini taxis. Whether the South African Bureau of Standards, SABS, conducted adequate quality assurance tests when it was requested to do so by the Department of Transport in 2009, so as to make a determination on whether or not the Toyota quantum panel vans that have been illegally converted into minibus taxis could be retrofitted to ensure the safety of commuters using these vehicles. So the public protector found that in terms of uh, the issue relating to the NRCS, that it had failed to take effective and efficient steps um, to ensure that all automotive manufacturers, importers, and builders complied with the compulsory specification as envisaged in the act. So, um, in conclusion, therefore, this report was referred to the committee for consideration and report mm -hmm. uh, and to determine whether the minister had complied with the recommendations of the public protector in this regard. I thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Elmas, the chairperson of the Portfolio Committee.
Honorable members, we shall proceed. I recognize Honorable Hans Singer of the DA. Thank you, House Chair. While the DA welcomes the finality and release of this report, which addressed the issue of Toyota panel lanes being converted to taxis, it is most concerning that limited to no consideration was given to several underlying aspects. Overarchingly, the fact that we are dealing with a majority stakeholder in public transport sector, which requires, in the view of the DA, far more remedial action and recommendations to address this ongoing and expanded risk. An ongoing risk because we currently have over 300,000 taxis on South African roads, while this report confined its comments to a fraction of this number. This report assumes 2,353 converted taxis as determined by RTMC and the Department of Transport way back in 2008. With this very selective approach, the risk to commuters and other road users is being downplayed and many other severely exposed. The content of this report is ignored to the, ex to the expanded risk, illegal conversions from freight-carrying panel vans to passenger-carrying taxis are not limited to Toyota as converted in this report, but also many other vehicle makes. Most concerning is the fact that illegal conversions are also not limited to public transport as a sector, but also include illegal conversions of ambulances, labor transportation vehicles, and sightseeing transporters used in the tourism sector. This ignorance by the public protector should be placed next to the fact that the complaint was laid as far back as 2012. From the DA's perspective, it is no solution to ignore the role of NRCS as the watchdog of homologations. Far more needs to be done, and we expect firm directives to improve the system, procedure, and processes. Improved alignment and legislative amendments have sadly been ignored as part of the remedial actions offered in this report. Not just the cooperation with RTMC as the guardians of e-natus under DOT is needed, but improved controls with upgraded responsibility are needed. NRCS and DTI has the authority and should act accordingly. Following the recommendations by our DA colleagues, a portfolio committee of transport subcommittee was formed to extend on the limitations presented in this report. This included interviews with NRCS, SABS and DTI. The lack of effective controls is one thing, and the exploitation of unsophisticated and unsuspecting buyers is something else. In this process, huge financial gains have been made and buyers have been deceived by well-known international vehicle brand names and financiers. This is despite overarching agreements like the Paris Convention and the Bern Agreement. The core approach and remedial action to simply impound and scrap vehicles is not Just to show off your mic, we'll highly appreciate that. Thank you very much. You may proceed, Honourable Member. Thank you, Archie. The core approach and remedial action to simply impound and scrap these vehicles is not fair to the unsuspecting and misled buyers of panel vans believing it is a legal taxi. A business may be destroyed as a result. 
How could one ever think that it was fair to impound a vehicle that someone had bought, not knowing that it was an illegal conversion? How could it be acceptable to replace a vehicle with nearly half a million rand with 129,000? Fair compensation is needed, and yes, these vehicles should be removed from the road, some of which have been described as, as death traps in the media. What should have been addressed in the contravention of what should have been addressed is the contravention of the principles of duty of care, the regulatory failure and the failure of government systems and the variety of exploitations which disappointingly have not been addressed at all. The problem also extends to the role of the banking ombudsman, consumer protection, application of national safety regulations and legal financing all of which were not addressed at all. The Office of the Public Protector had, had done its duty by delivering this pocket-sized 136-page report, but no satisfactory service has been done to the industry, least of all to the people. Ndiabolela and Kekesha and Pelona. I thank you. And Kose, Honourable Member, I will recognise the member of the EFF as I do that, I will request Honorable Mashaule then to proceed with the proceedings of the day. Over to you, EFF. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Sorry about that. The Chairperson, the EFF notes and welcomes the report from the public uh, protector and the remedial actions that, uh, that they must take uh, effect. Now, these findings, Chairperson, um, show a bad state of the entities of the Department of Trade and Industry. It was not surprising because for years, the Department of Transport lacks leadership because it also have useless and ineffective minister with talk but no show. It is a very cursed and bewitched, you know, the department itself. Now, these findings by the public, you know, the, the, the protector, they also paint a bad picture on the NRCS. Um, we, must, we must put this into context. And RCS was advised. Honorable Chancellor. Honorable Chancellor. Yes, ma'am. My apologies. Yes, Honorable Khadem, your hand is up. Honorable Khadem, your hand is up. Maybe it's a legacy hand. There was no hand. Uh, yes, Honorable Khadem. Uh, Chairperson, uh, I'm, I'm rising on Rule 84. In the past, uh, the issue of calling a, a member of parliament useless was declared unparliamentary. Thank you, Chair. White community. I missed that one, Honorable Hadebe. I will take counsel from the table. Uh, can you proceed, Honorable Drago? No, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. the, uh, it is clear for me that the, the, the NRCS, the, the NRCS uh, was advised by the vehicle manufacturers that the quantums were not suitable for conversion into Texas. They were advised. Now, the NRCS, they failed to stop that conversion and the approval. And the blame must be put at the doorstep of the NRCS, and the heads must run. Now, also these findings, uh, Chairperson, they paint a bad picture about the integrity 
of SABS, which is supposed to be controlling our standard. Also, someone whispered uh, into their ears, but they actually failed to add. It also shows the state of the SABS because we, as we all know that the SABS has been put under administration. There is no leadership. There is nothing happening there. And the department is taking time to install a board. There's no board and SABS is falling apart. Now, this error has affected the taxi industry negatively. And we want the department to ensure that the taxis are compliant. There must be no cost to the taxi bosses and the taxi industry at all. Because the fault is can be put on squarely at the doorstep of the Department of Trade and Industry and the Department of the Transport. Now, the involvement of the white monopoly capitalist banks, like your APSA, your FNBs, and all the other financial banks, I think the Net Bank as well is involved. They are silenced in terms, they've agreed to finance illegal convicted vehicles. It must be put here on record. The banks have colluded with these departments to ensure that they've they actually financed these taxes that they knew that they were not in the good, you know, good condition. I, 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 I would have wished that the, the public protector would have find a findings on these uh, brutal, counter-revolutionary, racist banks, which are ensure that they don't care about the safety of our people, in particular black people. It must be put here on, on record. We will ensure as the EFF, sitting in that committee, that the remedial actions are implemented and those who have neglected uh, uh, this, uh, you know, uh, those who were actually found to be negligent, they actually face their music. Banks must also take responsibility for financing these illegal cars and must not claim any payments from ordinary tax owners who have not bought this, uh, who have not actually bought this. We accept these uh, remedial actions and uh, we propose that... Uh, that has been proposed by the public uh, protector. I thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Honorable Members, we now proceed to Honorable Professor Msima. Honorable Msima, if you could uh, unmute. Honorable Msima. Please unmute. Sorry, too. Thank you, Honorable. Arising from public protectors' investigation and subsequent report into conversion of goods carrying Toyota Quantum panel vans into passenger carrying minibus taxes to transport members of the public for reward and specifically whether the minister had complied with remedial actions determined by the public protector. The IFP is of the position and opinion that compliance with the findings of the public protector is binding until set aside by a court on review and therefore 
compliance in terms of remedial action is mandatory. Initially, there appeared to be some confusion as to which entities such remedial action was directed. After subsequent intervention by the Department of Trade and Industry and interactions with Portfolio Committee on DTIC, it was agreed that despite lack of clarity by the findings by the public protector, but in the spirit of cooperative governance, the remedial action would be implemented. The DTIC and minister facilitated the creation of a memorandum of understanding that formalized the areas of cooperation and collaboration between the NRCS and the SABS. Chairperson, this is a good example of a solutions-oriented approach by the DTIC. Instead of challenging the remedial action determined by the public protector and thus delaying attending to the problem, the DTIC and its entities involved are now working towards formally structured uh, MOU in respect of areas of cooperation, collaboration, and information sharing. The IFP supports the committee report, and I thank you, Honorable House Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Msima. Honorable Malda. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. The National Regulator for Compulsory Specifications, as an agency of the Department of Trade, Industry and Competition, has indeed an important role to play in promoting public health and safety, environmental protection, and has failed to comply in this instance. The mere fact that 2,353 legally connected or converted panel vans has been discovered in 2008 already, and it was allowed to transport passengers on South African roads as modified taxis without adherence to standards and quality controls is unfortunate. A large number of these taxis that are on the streets are posing a serious threat to the well-being of South Africans. Chair, the Freedom Front Plus welcomes this long overdue intervention the report of the public protector and expresses his concern that it took more than 12 years since the existence of these specific vehicles were discovered to get to this stage of the intervention. Minister Ibrahim Patel should take urgent and effective steps to harness and foster better and effective and more efficient working relationships between the National Regulator of Standards and the South African Bureau of Standards. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Nalda. The next speaker will be Honorable Madimacha. The ANC. Honorable Madimacha. Honorable the ANC.
Honorable members, that concludes the debate on this report. We shall now proceed to the last. Okay, maybe Honorable Malemeja has got some challenges in terms of uh, uh, dealing with uh, the report. Yeah, but it can't be endless uh, challenges. I've called the name four times. Yeah, it's Honorable Mbuyane. Can you come? Yeah, I think of coming in. Thank you. Yes, proceed. Uh, Chairperson, thank you uh, for the opportunity. Chair, the African National Congress believe in the safety and protection of the South Africans. As these are continually embedded imperative necessary for the growth and transformation of our society, as the African National Congress, we plead uh, with the intervention uh, by the Department of Trade and Industry and Competition in responding to the remedial action of the protector regarding the illegal convention of minibus taxis. The SABS and NRCS are entitled with a mandate to assist local industry production, export of local products, and protect the public for unsafe products that may be placed in the national market through testing and inspection. The role of these entities is essentially in the implementation of our localization policy, which ensures that all industries meet the necessary quality checks needed for industrial uh, competitiveness. Although no direct or adverse finding uh, were made against the department, the department and its two entities, South African Bureau of Standard and the National Regulator Compulsory Specification, has in the spirit of cooperative committed government attend to the remedial election of the public protector as it relates to the DTIC and its entity to improve its services to the people of South Africa. The department has since facilitated a process where the entities concluded a memorandum of understanding as a result of the OMOMU, the Joint Working Committee comprising representatives of both entities and was established to manage cooperation and consultation on matters dealt with by both entities, implements mutual agreement, program and project, and share information. The essence of the MOU between the two entities to ensure a collaborative, a cooperative relationship between the two entities is enhanced. It's a step in the right direction. The department will ensure that these two entities provide them with quarterly report on the progress made in its effort to maintain and enhance quality insurance, particularly regarding the remedial action. The DTIC and the Department of Transport will also regularly share ideas on strategics and support the automotive vehicle industry and regulatory measures. This is welcome as it does away with a silo mental of working and also ensuring good intergovernmental cooperation between the two departments. In conclusion, Chairperson, having considered all this, African National Congress is pleased that the department has put measures in place to strengthen the relationship between the two entities and ensure that uh, it complement each other in the interest of government. The African National Congress support the adoption of the report. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. <clears throat> Honorable members, there was an order raised by Honorable Khadebe against Honorable Twaku, and I said I will come back. Honorable 
Draco referred to the minister as useless and ineffective. And referring to a member of the House as such uh, has previously been deemed unparliamentary. May I call on the Honorable Draco to withdraw the statement? Honorable Draco? Honorable Draco? The table will advise me if Honorable Draco is in the, pro, in the system and will take uh, action as such. If he is not uh, in, I'm advised that Honorable Draco is in the line. Honorable Draco? Honorable Draco? The table staff, can you please remove Honorable Draco from the system? Thank you very much. That concludes the debate on this report. We shall now proceed to the last order of the day, which is the consideration of report of Portfolio Committee on Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development on Oversight Visit to Perishable Product Export Control Board and District 6, Western Cape Province on the 29th March and 1 April 2022. The report of the Portfolio Committee on Tourism on Transformation Charter in Tourism Sector. I will now recognize the Honorable ZMD Mandela. Greetings, Honorable Chairperson. Honorable members, fellow South Africans, the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa is the cornerstone in the launchpad to the creation of a national democratic society based on the principle of non-racism, non-sexism, and united in our diversity. We have in our country three arms of state based on the provisions of our constitutions. The three arms of state enjoy the separation of powers, and it is expected that one arm of state must not encroach on the other arm of state. Cooperation between all three arms of state is essential in order to realize our developmental goals and meet the aspirations of our people in terms of transforming the structures of our society and for creation of a just, inclusive, and equitable society. Within this context, honorable members, parliament has an important role to play towards the eradication of the triple challenges of poverty, unemployment, and inequality faced by millions of our citizens. Honorable Chairperson, on the 29th of March and the 1st of April, 2022, the Portfolio Committee on Agricultural and Reform and Rural Development went on an oversight visit to the Perishable Products Export Control Board and to the District 6 Housing Development, respectively. Our visit to PPCB was to strengthen and enhance the committee's oversight role 
on the public entity reporting under the Department of Agriculture, Land Reform, and Rural Development. And to better understand their challenges in terms of agricultural export market industry, the PPCB is one of the agricultural public entities responsible for the provision of independent quality certification and cold chain management services for producers and exporters of perishable food products. And importantly, it performs inspections on food safety services. At the PPCB, we took note of the following. The Perishable Products Export Control Act is under review. PPECB is self-funded and employs about 1,000 people. Through the Agricultural Export Technology Program, PPECB educates and trains young people on the export value chain. Our biggest export destinations are the, the European Union, Asia, and the Middle East. On our visit to the District 6 development uh, is one of the flagship, flagship projects of the Department of Agriculture and uh, Rural Development and Land Reform. Under its land restitution program, we took notice on an impressive phase three development of residential units for successful claimants of District 6, forced removals. These successful projects will restore the dignity of the people. Your time has expired, I'm afraid. Thank you very I much. I conclude, Honorable Chair, by tabling this report before the House. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, the next speaker is Honorable Masipa. House Chairperson, the Perishable Products Export Control Board is constituted and mandated in terms of the Perishable Product Export Control Act number no. 9 of 1983 to perform cold chain services. It conducts inspections and food safety services under the APS Act of 1990. In the export industry, this institution is recognized as an approved third party country under the European Commission Regulation 543 of 2011. Therefore, this agreement renders the South African inspection systems as equivalent to that of the EU inspection bodies and therefore ensures less frequent checks at the port of import into the EU. Chair, allow me to outline some of the key services being provided by PPECB, as we commonly call it. The PPECB ensures that importers' goods are of sound quality and adhere to the technical equipment specifications, hygiene standards, product conformity, and temperature requirements of the importing country. Further, the PPECB uh, provides exporters with inspection and approval of equipment such as containers, specialized reefer vessels and cold stores, monitoring loading processes and the en route temperature management of the produce. House Chair PPECB found itself as the only institution under this department, the Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development with clean audit and fit for purpose leadership. The board of PPECB is well constituted with members from the industry. However, the biggest threat of this world-class institution remains the poor ports infrastructure and the ANC government policy. The bill that we sitting before parliament, upper bill, 
is also creating a threat for this particular in- institution. The upper bill will lead to some exporters not being able to export or disappear completely. If export volumes decline, it will have a detrimental impact on the income of the PPECB, as its income is derived fees on inspection of the export produce. The bill will also have a potential negative impact on the long-term planning of Transnet on increasing efficiency of the container terminal, which, which handles fresh produce in the ports such as planning, such as such planning is based on increase in export volumes. The industry have a figure of 35% increase in fruit export volumes by 2030. If the bill goes through, this percentage will be reduced. Again, to the detriment of the sustainability of the industry, especially smaller and emerging exporters. The DA urges the committee of uh, the members of the Agricultural Land Reform and Rural Development to hold all harmful bills to agriculture and to the economy at large. House, House Chair, regarding our oversight visit to District 6, we witnessed the work of the land claims commissions. After a long wait, at least 48 persons are eligible to move into their homes. The committee was informed that 52% opted for financial compensation. A concern to be raised with this house is while the ANC government dragged its feet, many of the original claimants have passed on without realizing their lifelong dream of moving back to their roots. Claimants have complained bitterly about the quality of the first two phases of housing, so much so that the facilitation of District 6 Development Trust was terminated and Phase 3 was facilitated by the Rural Infrastructure Development Branch in the department. Portfolio Committee inspected the 108 vacant high-rise units. The steps to the top units were rather steep and there, were, there was no provision for a lift for older people. 954 claimants are still waiting for houses, which the department hopes to complete by 2014 December at a cost of $1.87 billion. A concern was raised about vandalism or illegal occupation of the vacant units. The DA urges the department to finalize negotiations with other stakeholders involved in the completion of phase three to fast-track occupancy of the units. Elderly claimants must be prioritized in the allocation of units via a transparent process. Thank you, Mudulas Julo. Thank you very much. Uh, the EFF. Thank you very much, House Chair. I can request the permission in order to turn on my video due to network. Please proceed. Thank you very much, House, House Chair. We are aware of the mandate of the Perishable Products Export Board, con- con- board to conduct food safety and inspections. only entity of the Department of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development that has maintained clean audit outcomes for more than 13 successive years. Its work is commendable and we encourage the entity to continue with its good work. Honorable House Chair, 
We this year marks 56 year 56 anniversary of the District 6 being declared a whites only area under Apartheid Group Areas Act. This must this must be a very last time and final year in which Parliament shall have a debate about a yet to be completed process to bring our black people to the land to which rightfully belongs to them. This is this is excitement about the there is excitement, settlement of all district six land claims, celebration of the units. Frankly, as shown below, it took years to get to where the process is, and there is still there are still people waiting for houses to return to the district six. The return of the land to victims and descendants of people who were forcibly removed from the only place they called home in district six is long overdue. This is almost two decades. Two decades of share in waiting. Once the settlement of all the claims is noted and appreciated, it, it, it is the finalization of the District 6 that we are concerned about. District 6 is not finalized. It was reported that 954 residential units for the remaining older, the old order claims were will be developed in two builds. That too must be finalized. The delay in the finalization of the District 6, as shown in the committee report, resulted in extending the completion date to the end of 2023, estimated to the cost of 1.5 billion to December 2024, estimated to the cost of 1.87 billion. Let's cut this unnecessary extension and ensure that people occupy the land and houses built for them and restore their sense of pride and dignity. The EFF supports this report. Thank you very much, House Chair. The, the house. Thank you. The next speaker will be Honorable Sitole. Thank you, Honorable, Honorable House Chairperson. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, I'm reading this uh, report on behalf of of because this is the main uh, uh, members of of this portfolio committee. Honorable Chairperson, it remains of vital importance that perishable food products export from South Africa are of the highest quality and great for our country to compete successfully in global markets. In today's, in today's difficult trade climate and when taking into account, the added pressure has pandemics such as COVID-19 and the increasing event of nationalist disaster created. It is critical that we integrate supply chain science into our perishable food export, export supply line, especially in as regard code chain management. Parliament through the portfolio committee has extremely important responsibility to ensure that entities such as the perishable product export control board are not only compliant with national standards, but also with internationally accepted best practice in South, in, South, in South Africa is to retain a competitive edge in the perishable export supply market. The oversight seat, the oversight visit additionally provide portfolio committee members with greater insight and understanding into the operational environment of the entity as well as its current strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, conditioned as part, part as well as challenge faced by inland producers in transporting their pro produce to market must be prioritized for attention by the department and the PPECP, 
We are also pleased to note that in meeting customer demand for the PPECP is focused on becoming more customer-centric and is embracing technology, increased efficiency through digital information transformation. Strategic projects which include the self-funding agriculture sport technology program for youth, women, and leadership program, which is funded in cooperation with agri-cell theater and developmental programs on peoples with disability are to be applied as they ensure equality opportunity for all South Africans. Of, of concern, too, as the smallest amount of South Africa food is exported to the, content, to the continent. This market must receive greater impetus. The IFP do support the report. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Member. The FF Plus. Thank you, House Chairperson. Chairperson, I'll read this uh, declaration on behalf of the Honorable Brett. Chairperson, the PPECB is what is right in this department. They do not wait for the department to instruct or assist. They have clear-cut goals, plans of action to get there, clear financial savvy, and a focused team that all work together to do the same goal. They are self-funded, have 32 national offices that service 1,492 activity points. Its strategic projects include the self-funded Agricultural Export Technology Program for Youth, Women in Leadership programs that is funded in collaboration with AgriCita and the Development Program on People with Disabilities. PPECB is focusing on becoming more customer-centric, introducing data analytics and business intelligence capabilities. Redesigning the PPECB service delivery model to increase efficiencies and contain cost, improving business process efficiencies through digital transformation and improving business sustainability of black smallholder farmers and suppliers. They do, however, face challenges, not of their own making. Conditions at ports and some harbors are negatively impacting the PPECB's inspection personnel. The need for investment on agriculture and rail infrastructure in light of the challenges that they are facing um, are mostly located in remote areas of the country also remains a challenge. The committee's recommendations clearly speak to the challenges faced by the PPECB and hopefully we'll see the minister and her department take responsibility for what needs to be done to improve not only the ports and harbors, but also accessibility to the export market and youth involvement in the industry. First, niemand was verbaasd dat die herontwikkeling van de succes met stampenstoote uiteindelijk in die hoofd beland het nie. Dit was ook nie een verrassing, toe verskye eises hoe noodgedwonge tot die portofilie komitee gewend het nie. Die District 6 werksgroep en ander applikante wat die Departement van Landbouw, Grondhervorming en Landelike Ontwikkeling hoofdtoe geneem het, was net op soek na een plan en tijdlijn. Soos oudergewoond het die Departement die mense vir wie hoe moed vir geval. Die besoek aan fase 3 van die ontwikkeling het getoon dat daar, nie, dat daar vele leemtes met die huise, gebouwe en omgeving is, omdat die gebouwe nie in die toestand is vir persoene om hoog intrek te neem nie. As die sekuriteitsmaatskapie aangestel vir tyd en weil, 
Die bedoeling is baie edel, maar verkoos net geld terwijl die mense leid. Die herontwikkeling van District 6 en al die problemen wat op dusver ervaar is herbevestig die silo benadering van verschillende vlakken van regering wat niemand baat nie. Die aanbevelings van die komitee is eindelijk voor die aanbevelings. Dankie meneer Vest. Dankie, dankie. Dankie. The next speaker will be Honorable Hendricks. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Chair. Hot on the heels of the Deputy President's visit to Fast Track Restitution in District 6, it was amazing and welcome that the Portfolio Committee also visited a week later. Thank you very much for this report. Two envoys of the governing party was engaged uh, 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 by al with regard to restitution, memorialization, and nomination of District 6 as an international heritage site. Now, why an international heritage site? That is simply to remind the world not to practice force removals and demolishing of houses, which was the heart of apartheid. Now they call it spatial development, but that is just an apartheid construct. Comrade Jesu Duarte, the first envoy to come and see al in Cape Town, wanted to get South Africans and international visitors to see a large empty site of prime land as they drive on Nelson Mandela Drive and Phillips Kusana Drive to remind them that wonderful people lived on that site but were forcibly removed. I reminded the second envoy that visited uh, that, that uh, we visited in Johannesburg, Comrade Jeffrey Davy, of this vision. Many of these wonderful people were resistance fighters like my mom and I was nine-year-old in taking Gorgas to visit their sons on Robert Island. The Minister of Agriculture and Land Reform, co-academic of Archima Feji, lived in our safe house in District 6. Just quickly, Pam was arrested on the field next to Rochester Road where I live. Here is the street in District 6 that the judge was arrested. Just yes, I will work in my mom's kitchen to feed the resistance fighters gave an undertaking on Nakba Day that he will continue to remind the world of atrocities committed in Palestine and District 6. So there is hope that forced removals and demolishing of houses for oppressive and occupational reasons will come to an end all over the world. Yesterday we greeted one another Happy Africa Liberation Day. President Thabo Mbeki wanted the African and Naisan to be lords of District 6 because of his symbolism to continue the fight against apartheid uh, and group areas atrocities. Aldama wants the African Parliament to be built on land in District 6, but then the city of Cape Town will also return the other 50 hectares of the district land. How the Minister of Arts and Culture will add in his budget the seed funds to get District 6 declared an international heritage site for the support of and we once again thank this portfolio committee for the report. 60,000 residents. But also tell Parliament why, why a, 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 a unit in District 6, uh, 4 million rand was paid for that unit and it could be built for just 400,000 rand. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Chair. 
Thank you, Honorable uh, Member. I now invite the Honorable Maso. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Ministers and Deputy Ministers, Honorable Members of the House, Members of the Media, fellow South Africans. Honorable Chairperson, on the development of the agricultural sector will not only mean the growth of our democratic economy, but will, will also speak expansion of our export market. The Appreciable Products Export Control Board contribute directly to this success, to the success of this goal. The African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement provides our agricultural sector with, with viable economic opportunities for expansion and for the creation of million jobs opportunities referred in our NDP, the National Development Plan. Given the complexity and the, uh, the, the sophisticated uh, of the agricultural export market, there is absolutely need for our effective regulatory framework for the Agricultural Export Produce Agency and practice. It is for this reason, for the medium-term strategic framework, uh, framework spoke of, the, spoke of a, a review of the inhabiting standards on the South African goods agricultural practice and global gap in order to enable the smallholder farmers to participate in the democratic and global economy. As much as we are very impressed with the African, as the African National Cong Congress, I mean the ANC, with the performance of the PPECP, we are equally concerned with some of the challenges faced by the, by the entity those includes uh, conditions at our ports and some harbors that we have that are neg neg negatively impacting on their uh, inspection work, and the needs for, uh, the need the needs for uh, for investment in agriculture, rail infrastructure in order to uh, stimulate agricultural activities by smallholder producer, producers it will be a key issue that is needed to be taken into consideration. Locate, located mainly inland and in the remote area of our country, like Bohom. Uh, the need for invest in, uh, investment in ag agricultural trade, uh, in agricultural infrastructure cannot be overemphasized this time. We need to make sure that we deal with that. The development of District 6, Residential area is a painful reminder of the hist of the history in this country, and it is also evidence that the ANC-led government is committed towards our land restitution program. As we speak, we would like to 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 we would like to reiterate that the extreme importance of continuous communication with the with the beneficiary of District 6 during the phase four of this program. Honorable Chairperson, the ANC supported it, uh, the tabling of this report and after a careful consideration, will duly declare our support for this due adoption. I thank you, Honorable Chair.
Thank you very much, <clears throat> uh, honorable members. Uh, I must uh, inform you that uh, honorable Traku uh, attempted to come back. He was duly refused to come back because at the time he was in the platform, he did not respond. That concludes the debate and the business of this virtual mini plenary session. The mini plenary will now rise. Thank you very Thank much. You. continental free trade violation of new development plan. Given the complexity and the regulatory frameworks, conditions stimulate agricultural trade, let government of this report and after a careful consideration will duly at the time he was in the platform, he did not respond. That concludes the debate and the business of this virtual mini